We've got a great show for you today. We've got three really good segments. Our first segment is with Dr. Nguyen Pham, and we're going to be talking about uh, painless tonsillectomy. So we'll hear a lot about that. But right now, we're talking about painless tonsillectomies. And we have Dr. Pham with us, who is a pediatric otolaryngologist at Children's Hospital in Southern California, who focuses on cleft lip and palate surgery primarily, uh, also pediatric ear surgery, airway surgery, and pediatric tumors, and also specializes in laryngotracheal reconstruction, which is reconstruction of the actual airway. Uh, Welcome to the show, Dr. Pham. Hi, thanks for having me. Of course, um, of course. And uh, if uh, our audience has any questions and wants to know more about painless tonsillectomies or just ENT surgery in general for kids, call us at 1-877-NYU-DOCS. It's 1-877-698-3627. So, um, Dr. Fram, let's just start from the beginning for our audience. Um, What are tonsils? Where are they? What do they do? And uh, uh, we'll start there. Yeah, so real basic, um, the tonsils that people typically talk about are the ones in the back of their throat, right? You can see them. They're behind the tongue. You know, you have two of them. Um, For us, you have two additional tonsils that we think of as physicians. Um, You have the tonsils in the back of your nose. Um, Typically, those are called adenoids. Um, But the medical term is pharyngeal tonsils. And then you actually have tonsillar tissue in the back of your tongue, too. So those are called lingual tonsils. Um, but as far as the ones we typically take out, those would be the pharyngeal tonsils or the adenoids and um, the uh, tonsils in the back of the throat that you can see. Great. And um, what are some of the problems you might get with, with tonsils that might make you think about wanting to take them out or, or address it in some other way? Well, there are some more rare causes, but for us, Probably 95% of what walks in the door for us as far as tonsil problems are, one, the tonsils are way too big. So they're blocking the child's breathing. They're causing sleep apnea at night. Um, So that's the most common problem we see. And then the less common but still pretty um, um, common problem is the strep throat or tonsillitis. And those are kids who continually get uh, sore throats fevers, and it happens, you know, every month, and it's making them miserable, it's making them miss school, that kind of thing. Right, and I feel like we used to see kids getting their tonsils removed all the time, and now it's it's less common. Uh, what are the downsides to taking out the tonsils? Why, why would we consider not doing that? Well, the pattern definitely has changed. Um, when I was a child, Typically, you'd get your tonsils out if you had just a few episodes of strep throat. We're much more careful about taking out tonsils for strep throat now because over the years, there's been more and more research that shows that if you don't do anything for these kids, typically their immune system gets stronger and these episodes of strep throat tend to decrease year after year. So they have to have tons of strep throat infections now for us to even consider taking out the tonsils for strep throat. So that's one reason um, it might be seen that the number of tonsillectomies are going down. And as far as the downside, um, number one is that tonsillectomy typically hurts a lot. And there's the chance of bleeding in the first week or two after surgery. Right. And so we're ta- we're going to talk about painless tonsillectomies. So do you want to just maybe describe kind of what the uh, traditional procedure is, and then we can talk about what the uh, new- newer procedure is? Yeah. So the typical procedure 
takes 100% of the tonsil. So the tonsil is basically lymphoid tissue. So it's like your lymph nodes, but supersized. And then it's surrounded by this capsule of what's called respiratory epithelium. So it's like a huge lymph node with a layer of tissue around it. And the typical way of doing tonsillectomy, and still the more common way in the United States, is to take a hot iron, we call it a bovie, and you just burn the whole thing out, um, 100% of the tonsil. Um, and it's quick and easy. Um, it's overall pretty safe, but it tends to be very, very painful because the instrument that surgeons use is very, very hot. Um, and then the chance of bleeding afterwards occurs because when you take out 100% of the tonsil, the blood vessels that feed into the tonsil are now completely exposed. And so in the week or two after surgery, if the scab that forms over them loosens in any way, um, your child could be spitting up blood at night. And that's where you typically go to the emergency room and they try to cauterize it there. Right. And... Um... Let me just give out the number again. If anybody has any questions or maybe wants to share a story, you can call us at one eight seven seven NYU Docs. That's one eight seven seven six nine eight three six two seven. So, Doctor Fami described kind of what the the traditional procedure is, and and so what what are the modifications that people are looking at or doing um, that makes it a painless tonsillectomy? Yeah, so the movement towards a painless tonsillectomy, um, I have to give a shout out to my uh, mentor at Stanford, Peter Koltai. So he was the division chair of pediatric otolaryngology at Stanford when I was training there in fellowship. And he, his thinking was, um, you know, we're t- most of the kids in whom we're taking out tonsils, the reason is because of the size of the tonsils, right? And there's no need to take out 100% of the tonsil and expose those blood vessels and cause that burn injury to the back of the throat. And so what he proposed was we take out 90, 95% of the tonsil, but we leave that outer rim of the tonsil to protect the back of the throat, to protect the blood vessels. And so he started writing papers about doing this um, in the early 2000s, and he showed really good results. But you know, as we know in the medical field, it's very hard to get people to change their practice, you know, to to change the standard of care, but we're moving towards that. Right. So it's a it's a slightly smaller surgery, I guess, and because you have that outside layer intact, maybe it hurts a little bit less and the risk of bleeding is lower? Yeah, it, it, but it's not a little. It's a dramatic difference. And so we've been doing it this way for most of our cases. Um, at Chalk, um, Children's Hospital of Orange County, we usually give parents the choice of which ones they want. But as soon as we start talking about what the research shows and what the difference is in pain and bleeding, most of our parents elect for the new way. And so we call the new way intracapsular. So that means we leave the capsule or just the outer rim of the tonsil. But the amount of pain in, that the child has is dramatically different. So with the old way of doing tonsillectomy, you'd have a child who for a week or two would not eat normally. You'd have to bribe them with popsicles, right? As much sugar, sugary water as possible to get them to eat or drink anything just so they don't get dehydrated. We'd be sending our kids home with narcotics, right? Tylenol with codeine was very popular in kids with tonsillectomy. And that's now been um, shown to be very dangerous. Um, And then the chance of bleeding is not just slightly lower, it's dramatically lower. I was just looking through JAMA Otolaryngology last night, and there was a brand new paper that was published where they did 
700 patients in a row with zero bleeds after a tonsillectomy, which is a big difference from the national rate of about 3 to 7%. So a, a lot safer, it sounds like. Uh, yeah, it's a lot safer. And is is this largely that people just haven't um, had the experience with it yet, so they're, they're not doing it? Or is there a downside to doing this uh, uh, painless or intracapsular method? Well, I think it's a fa- it's both. In Europe, intracapsular tonsillectomy has taken, uh, has become much more popular than it is in the United States. And We've talked to a lot of our uh, European colleagues. Um, for example, I was at our national meeting uh, just last month in New Orleans and met some French uh, otolaryngologists there. And from what they told me, basically the, the vast majority of their surgeons do the intracapsular tonsillectomy technique. Um, and I've heard it's the same in Sweden, Denmark, um, Germany, uh, and the UK. And so this is not something that's you know, that we're just doing here. It's pretty widespread in Europe, um, and it's starting to take hold here. Um, There is one downside to doing it this way, is that there's a small chance the tonsil could grow back. Right, and then whatever the reason that you took it out might reoccur? Right, exactly. Right. Um, But for us, the chance of it growing back um, far outweighs the pain that kids typically have, right, as well as the chance of bleeding, aspirating blood, that kind of thing, after a surgery. Right, and that bleeding and, can be quite dangerous, actually, if it's severe. Right, right. Um, for otolaryngologists, it's one of the scariest things we have to deal with because if a child has bleeding, it's typically in the middle of the night. They're coughing up a ton of blood, and that's where the parents are panicked, you know, rushing into the emergency room. The child is spitting blood into a kidney basin, and those are the cases where we have to bring the children up to the emergency room, I mean, sorry, the operating room as an emergency in order to cauterize the bleeding. Right. And if any parents are thinking of of having their kids tonsils out and they're brave, they can Google complications of tonsillectomy and the really bad complications. (laughs) Don't ever Google that (laughs) or or anything else. (laughs) You you always get the worst of the worst when you, when you search with Google. Yeah. The scary ones are all related to bleeding right after surgery though. Right. Um, So although, you know, the traditional form of tonsillectomy was relatively safe. There were these risks, and there is a lot of pain associated with it, and it sounds like um, we're doing better with this intracapsular method. Uh, we've got a few yeah. callers waiting to, to ask some questions. Uh, you can join them at one eight seven seven nyu docs That's one eight seven seven six nine eight three six two seven. 6927 Or you can email us at docs at com. Our first caller is Caroline from uh, San Jose, California. Hi, Caroline. How are you? Hi, um, I'm fine. Uh, thanks for taking my call. My sure. question is regarding my 19-year-old son. He um, uh-huh. is away at college and living in a fraternity house and has had uh, two different episodes of strep throat about three months apart. My question uh-huh. is, is there a concern as the older the child, I mean, he's not a child, but he's 19, is there a concern uh, the older they get with doing um, a, a tonsillectomy? Uh, the doctor that he saw um, where he goes to school, he said, well, you may want to consider um, getting your tonsils out. And um, uh-huh. you know, a little bit concerned about that. But um, I just wanted to know the doctor's opinion on that regarding the age, because typically that would happen, what, five or six years old when they're much younger. 
Uh-huh. Yeah, so we, we do get older patients that need their tonsils out. Yeah, typically uh, similar to your son's case with recurrent strep throats. The traditional teaching in our specialty is that the older you are, like towards becoming an adult, the more painful the surgery is. So if he were to undergo a total tonsillectomy, it definitely would be painful. And I would probably anticipate two weeks of an extremely sore throat where he'd need like two weeks off of school completely to recover from it. And um, is there, is the surgery more risky or safer as they get older or more needed or less needed? Does, does age play a role here? Um, the surgery is not riskier. It's just, it just tends to be more painful. Um, but overall, the, the chance of bleeding after surgery or any complications would be the same, if not lower, just because he's older, so he should be able to handle the risks of anesthesia um, and having surgery better. So it's not like it would be more dangerous. It would just be more painful for him. Right. Right. So that sounds like something that they would need to talk to an ENT surgeon about to figure out if yeah. they needed to have it done. Um, but it, it, it's not more dangerous, but um, likely more painful uh, the older yeah. you get. Uh, Caroline, yeah. thanks so much for your call. Appreciate it. Uh, next up, we have Liz from Tampa, Florida. Uh, hi, Liz. How are you? Hi. Great. Thank you for taking my call. Sure. I have a 20-year-old uh, daughter who's in college. And she's had some chronic issues over the years with sore throats here and there. Um, but uh, she had some really bad ones when she started college. And we took her into a local ENT. He said she, this was about a year ago, he said she had really um, like textured tonsils that are prone uh-huh. to catching infections. Did he call that necrotic or something else? Am I misusing that word? Um, <laughs> you're close. Might be, I know that's dead tissue, so. The, the term we use is cryptic tonsils. Cryptic, like that's little right. I'm sorry. Caves, yeah, or crevices. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, and that does happen yeah. in adults. Um, as you get older, your tonsils tend to shrink, and when they shrink, you get these crevices for some people, where stuff gets stuck in them, where it's, whether it's bacteria or food particles, and then that stuff that gets stuck in there can irritate your throat and cause sore throats. Um, does she notice like white? chunks of material in those crevices in her tonsil? Um, I think by the time we took her to him, she wasn't actively having the issue. So uh-huh. what he, you know, what he could see was kind of the remnant. And I don't recall him yeah, saying yeah. anything about that specifically or not. He just, she had this symptom of terrible, terrible breath. Um, uh-huh. And, you know, she's flossing and she's brushing and, you know, and he yeah. said, if that ever happens yep. again, you need to go get on antibiotics. Um, But he did not recommend, we talked to him about the um, pain-free or painless, whatever, tonsillectomy. And Uh uh, he did not recommend that and said that sometimes they can kind of grow back. And that then patients aren't happy because they have to have the procedure done again. And he said, it's not really pain-free. So I'm just wondering your thoughts on all that. Yeah. I mean, she sounds like a perfect case for the pain-free tonsillectomy. Because basically what you'd have to do is just remove those crevices and she'd be feeling a lot better. And it would save her from having two weeks of misery. And so you might want to get a second opinion or find a surgeon who does have experience doing it this newer way. Because it seems like she would be a great candidate for it. 
Uh, thanks so much for the call, Liz. And, um, you know, uh, as always, we'll say it's hard to diagnose things over the radio, but it sounds like yeah. maybe there's uh, a role here for you to uh, maybe talk to someone else and just make sure that everybody's on the same page when they see uh, what's going on. So uh, thanks for the call, Liz. Uh, next up, we have Stephanie from New Jersey, who looks like maybe had this procedure. Hi, Stephanie. How are you? Hi, good. How are you? Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Uh, my daughter had that procedure about uh, three years ago, actually. Uh-huh. And they, they did tell us that there is a slight risk that they could grow back. But they never knew what her, her tonsils were gigantic. They just, she barely uh-huh. had any. They were almost touching. So, um, but they didn't know why they were so large ever. So I've always worried, how do I prevent that? Um, them from regrowing, and how do I know what the cause was of having such huge tonsils? Uh, good question. So, was did she have her surgery for snoring and sleep apnea? Was that the main? We reason? had a sleep study. Yeah, we had a sleep study, and she was experiencing sleep apnea. Okay. Yeah, and then it, now it she's not. It was mild. Anymore. Correct. Okay, so the main thing you're looking out for is, does the snoring come back, right? Because if the, the tonsil can grow back, and if it grows back and it's small, then there's nothing to worry about. If it grows back to what it was before and it obstructs her sleep and keeps her from getting good rest at night, you know, and being energized for school in the morning, then that's when you should be concerned and alert your pediatrician or your ENT doctor. Yeah, so the main symptom I would be monitoring is her sleep, just to make sure the sleep continues to be good. And as far as preventing the tonsils from growing back, um, typically as kids get older, uh, more towards like the school age years to like 10 or 11, the tonsils start to shrink. Sorry about that. And so it's more in the, the preschool years and like the early elementary school years where the tonsils can grow. The tonsils are part of the immune system, and so anything can trigger them to grow, whether it's a cold or a flu or a strep throat or something like that. Great. Um, next up, we have Kathy from Michigan, who also has a question about cryptic tonsils. Hi, Kathy. How are you? Hi. Great. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Um, yes, my daughter is 17, and she also has the cryptic tonsils, and um, they for probably the past three years, uh, they get the big uh, chunks of food, and uh-huh. so she digs them out with like a, pulls the cotton off of a Q-tip, and uh-huh. um, so she, which is really gross, and so she kind of has some bad breath. And we yeah. took her to an ENT, and he suggested that she gargle, and that really yeah. is not enough to get food particles out. So any suggestions right. of getting the food out or is that a reason that you would have your tonsils removed? Well, it is a reason to get your tonsils removed if it's bothering her enough where, you know, it's affecting her quality of life, right? Or it's driving her nuts where she's spending a significant amount of time every day picking these, we call them tonsil stones or tonsillates, where she's picking these, these things out. Um, the, the reason the surgeon was probably hesitant to take out her tonsils for this, though, because is because, you know, it's not life-threatening. And the ENT surgeon knows that if you do the total tonsillectomy, it's extremely painful. 
And so in his calculation, it's probably not worth it, right, to take the, the tonsil out in her case. Um, but if you were, I think, her, like we were saying before, if, if you can find a surgeon that can do the intracapsular technique, I think that would be ideal for her, especially if it's bothering her that much. And is there any way, Dr. Pham, that um, someone could figure out who does it or, or where to look? Ooh, it's really challenging. Um, I know um, around the Bay Area, where Peter Coltai and Stanford is, there's uh, graduating residents that know how to do it. And um, in Southern California, our graduating residents all do it that way. Um, but I think otherwise, you have to search Google and call medical offices to ask. There's no, you know, national. Right you know, list of surgeons that'll, that do it this way. Right. Um, so I guess it's, it's up to doing a little bit of homework, especially if you're in Michigan. Um, you're not going to know any of the people out there necessarily. So, uh, Kathy, right. you may need to just do a little bit of looking or maybe even ask your the, the first ENT doctor if they do it that way or, or know somebody they can. They may know the resources in your area more. Thanks. Thanks so much for your call, Kathy. Uh, next up, we have Peg from Connecticut. Um, hi, Peg. How are you? I'm good. Thank you for taking my call. Yeah, sure. What, what question do you have? How can we help you? Um, I, my question is about my six-month-old daughter. It's not a tonsil question, but she had um, tubes put in at six months after having about eight ear infections going through all the antibiotics. Since the tubes have been put in, she has had at least 16 ear infections. Um, they've done an infectious disease workup on her, um, didn't find anything with that. And um, the question that I have is the um, surgeon had mentioned one time that the tubes can get a film on them. Um, mm-hmm. and. At this point, should they take those tubes out and redo it? I mean, because this little girl's been on antibiotics literally since she was six months old. And oh, my goodness. breaking through. So what would you recommend? So, Peg, what symptoms do you guys see when she gets an ear infection? Um, sometimes it's drainage, like thick, uh-huh. mucky yucky drainage um and sometimes uh-huh. um it's a block tube my my daughter is an aprn so she has uh-huh. the otoscopes and she can check it um sometimes she spikes a fever sometimes she doesn't um certainly her behavior changes because she's in pain so yeah. she's like on motrin on tylenol on antibiotics and I, it just can't be good for her yeah and then is it from both sides or just one side um, it can be both sides, but typically what I've seen recently is it's swapping off sides. Uh-huh. And then is it associated with a cold or a cough, that kind of thing? Um, it can be both. Like right now she has congestion in her sinuses, um, uh-huh. but the, before then you would never have known if you didn't know her personality. And then all of a sudden, right. I mean, it just changes. She's so used to it. So She just acts normal. Yeah, it, yeah, it's that's been her whole life. Yeah, those are challenging cases. And every once in a while, I have a patient like that. And so what you're saying about the, the bacteria and the biofilm, that can happen. And so 
if a child with ear tubes has that many ear infections, sometimes we do swap out the tube. Sometimes the I'll take out the tube that they have, which are typically plastic, and replace it with titanium, which is a little bit harder for to form a biofilm on, and that can help. Um, and I'm glad you guys did an immunological workup because there may be something going on there too that's making her more prone to the ear infection. Um, um, yeah, there, there, I wonder because our family has. Dad. There's, there's something called primary ciliary dyskinesia, which is sort of like a less severe form of cystic fibrosis. And sometimes in those kids, if you do ear tubes, they can continue to get drainage from their ears. Um, so that all that should be part of the workup that they're doing to make sure there's not a, a medical um, cause, uh, such as a weakened immune system, that they're missing. Yeah. Sounds like, um, uh, Peg, you're doing a lot of the... I was going to say you're doing a, a lot of the right things. Um, primary ciliary dyskinesia is what it's called. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. um, it's probably worth talking to both your pediatrician and your ENT surgeon um, about that just to sort of make sure um, that, A, they looked for it, and B, if there's anything else that they can do. Um, we are running out of time, but you know what? We have one more call from Maryland. Uh, Dr. Fallon, let's see if we can just uh, squeeze them in real quick. We have Terry okay. from Maryland. Hi, Terry. How are you? Hi, uh, good. Thank you for taking my call. I was calling because I'm wondering about a child that has had recurring tonsil stones for a couple of years now. Sometimes they get really, really bad and really big. And then other times, you know, they might not really be presenting, um, but very small crystals. But she hasn't seemed to be able to shake them uh, in a couple of years. And we do the gargling, things like that. But I was just wondering as far as... Um, you know, keeping the tonsils healthy and uh, being able to eventually kind of rid herself of this, um, you know, headache. <laughs> uh-huh. How old is she? She's now 18, and I think it's been going on since probably about 15. Uh, yeah. So this is, the, I think, the third call we've had about tonsil stones. Yeah, it seems um, to be a theme Yeah, today. they can be... They can be really bothersome to the teenagers. So I, I have taken out tonsils for tonsil stones. But as far as what you can do to prevent them from forming, it's really hard because anytime you eat or drink, right, you're going to chew the food and the water and you're going to swallow and it's going to brush right past those little holes in the tonsil and then start to accumulate. So there's, there's not much you can do to prevent them from forming. Um, other than what she's doing already with the gargling and that kind of thing. Right. So it sounds like uh, maybe another candidate. So, um, yeah. <laughs> uh, Terry, thanks so much for your call. And, Dr. Pham, we are out of time. It just flew by. Uh, thanks yeah. so much for being on the show. Oh, thanks for having me. This was fun. Great. And uh, stick with us, and we'll be back with the rest of you after this short break. <laughs> 